Sometimes it might be something you already kind of knew, but it just confirmed it. And every once in a while, it's something that's very deep. And you say, what am I going to do with this? That, that if you will act on it, because they've just shown you a piece of yourself that you thought was hidden, if you'll act on it, that's when you can make some real progress. Thrive friends, this is your host, Dr. Solomon. How can we use uncertain times as hidden opportunities to disrupt ourselves and grow? Today, I'm joined by a truly special guest and a professional colleague of mine who will help us answer this tough question. She is not only a world-class keynote speaker with close to 2 million followers on LinkedIn. She is one of the world's top 50 global thinkers for her work about change management and disruption. In 2017, she was selected as a top 15 coach by the Marshall Goldsmith Foundation out of 16,000 candidates. Whitney Johnson, welcome on Thrive. Thank you, Dr. Solomon. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being with me today. I am a big, big fan of your work. Now, let's start with your great book, Disrupt Yourself. As you know, disruption does not have the best connotation. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by disrupting ourselves? Right. It definitely doesn't. So when we were in high school, if you were disruptive in class, you got sent to the principal's office. But that's not the kind of disruption I'm talking about. I'm talking about um, a term of art that was coined by Clayton Christensen, my late mentor um, from the Harvard Business School, that he was talking about disruptive innovation. And so a disruptive innovation is um, at its simplest, a silly little thing that takes over the world like the telephone did to the telegraph, like the automobile did to the horse and buggy. More recently, we've seen Netflix disrupt Blockbuster and um, Uber disrupt cabs. And so I'm talking about that kind of disruptive innovation. More specifically, I'm talking about personal disruption. And so with personal disruption, it's how you take all of those ideas of that silly little thing that can take over the world and apply them to you, an individual. A great example of personal disruption for people thinking, well, what do you mean when you say that? Let me give you an example. So we've all heard of Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga in 2008, she goes straight to the top of the charts. And then what does she do for an encore? She jumps to the bottom of a new chart, one that all of her fans could have been, what are you doing? She first of all collaborates with Tony Bennett on a jazz album. She then does a Sound of Music tribute at the Oscars and produces a country album. But all those jumps, all those disruptions of herself paid off because her performance at the Super Bowl in 2017 had the largest music audience ever. So personal disruption, you're taking all those ideas, you make them meaningful to you, you start at the bottom of a ladder, you climb to the top, and then you jump to the bottom of a new ladder, like the children's game, shoots and ladders. But the big difference, there is one big fundamental supremely important difference. And that is that with personal disruption, you're the telephone and the telegraph. You're the automobile and the horse and buggy. You're the silly little thing. And you take over the world because you are disrupting you. And so personal disruption, that ability and willingness to disrupt yourself is how we make progress. So it's not disrupting your teacher in class. It's a way of stepping back from who you are today to slingshot into who you can be. And so that's why disrupt yourself has in my mind, a very, very positive connotation because you're the silly little thing. So you can take over your world. Thank you for sharing this about the personal aspect. So let's apply this to organizations. What would you think are two, three practical steps that organizations 
can do to prepare their teams and individuals to respond when disruption happens? You mentioned the Uber to cabs. So what will happen? Yeah, in, in a different industry. Yeah, so I think what I would say is whenever I think about disruption, organizations will think like, well, how do we prepare for disruption? And there's lots of things you can do to prepare for it. My focus is on the fact that the fundamental unit of growth, the fundamental unit of change in any organization is the individual. And so my advice, my counsel, my coaching always centers around what are you doing to help the people inside of your organization to disrupt themselves? And so the first thing I would say to people is understand, so what do I mean and why, why is it useful to step back from who you are today? Why is it useful to step back from doing the things the way you've always done them? And the reason it's useful, if you do a little graph, you know, sort of think about graph paper for a second. When you are um, in your career, when you're in your business, and so you can sort of meta do it at a high level and an individual level, you're basically at, let's say you're at an, on the y-axis of success, you're at 12. And things are going along in your business or they're going along in your career. This over one, up one, over one, up one. Things are moving along fine. Nothing too exciting, but certainly nothing difficult either. But when you make that decision to disrupt yourself, what you're doing is you're saying, I know I'm here, but I'm gonna step back and I'm gonna go here down to a 10 because I believe, just like with capital expenditures, I believe that there's gonna be an ROI. I believe that if I will step down, if I will disrupt myself in the future, my slope of my line is gonna be over one up two or over one up five or over one up 10. So the first thing that you can do to prepare an organization is to recognize that just like you make those investments in your business because you believe there will be an ROI, you also make that investment in yourself. You stop doing things the way you're doing them today or yesterday to do them differently in the future because you believe that in the future, you will be more successful because you were willing to disrupt yourself. The second thing that you can do to prepare um, as an organization, especially when it comes to disruption, is to recognize that when things don't go the way you expected them to go, it becomes a constraint. It's something like, oh, I thought it was going to go like this, but now it's gone like that, like a skateboarder. Skateboarders are really fast learners. And why are they fast learners? Because they're always bumping up against something and that's giving them lots of information. And so disruption is bumping up against something and it's giving you lots of information. And so if you can reframe and say these constraints, this thing that didn't go the way I thought it would go is actually going to become a tool of creation. That gets people in this mindset to take the things that they were unexpected um, and use them as a way to make things better in the future. Um, and so then the third thing that I would say, and these are all part of our seven point framework of personal disruption. Um, if you want to, you can go download whitneyjohnson.com forward slash C-A-L-M, calm, to get an overview of them. Um, so you've got, understand that when you're pushed back, when you step back, you can slingshot forward. That's super helpful in thinking about, okay, this disruption actually could be really positive. Recognize that those constraints that seem negative actually could be really positive. And then the third thing that's really important is to look at what your strengths are. Think about what do I individually do well? What do we as an organization do well? And really leverage those. So often when disruption or change happens, we start looking at all the things that we don't do well, all the things that we don't have as opposed to saying, what do I do well? What are we uniquely qualified to do? And really leverage those. In fact, use those strengths 
as another tool of creation to innovate your way forward into the future that you want to create. So how you deal with disruption defines you. And these are some things you can do is recognize a step back can be a slingshot forward. A constraint is a tool of creation and our strengths are meant to be leveraged and focused on as opposed to focusing on what we don't do well. Before we move on to the next question, I'd like our audience to open a new tab and look up Whitney Johnson on LinkedIn. Don't forget that she has a live every Thursday at 9 p.m. EST. She oh, also 9 a.m. 9, 9 a.m. Sorry, 9 a.m. <laughs> that EST. would be very late for me. And she hosts the weekly Disrupt Yourself podcast. Her mm -hmm. guests included Simon Sinek, Brittany Brown, and many, many other guests. Some of them are common guests. Terrific podcast. Highly, highly recommended. One of my favorite. So Whitney, some would argue that the pandemic caused the greatest disruption in decades. What do you think are two, three silver linings triggered by this disruption? So here's what I would say. Every single one of us, whether we recognize it right at this moment or not, wants to be in peak performance. Every single one of us wants to grow. We want to develop. We want to make progress. It is a deep human longing and yearning. And if we're not in that place where we want to, it's probably because life has handed us some difficult things and we've started to believe that we can't. But underneath all of that encrustation of believing that we can't is a deep human longing to make progress. And so one of the silver linings of this pandemic has been, we were in a place and we were moving along. So you think about sort of on that y-axis of success, we were maybe at a 12 and this pandemic forced all of us back to a 10 or an eight or a six, depending on who we are and what our circumstances were. And so what it did is it required us, if we were willing to let it to say, okay, let me take inventory. Let me take stock. Let me look at my life. How am I living it? What's important to me? How am I spending my time? And so it gave us that moment of pause where we could say, is this really what I want to do with my life? Is this really what I want it to look like? And that to me, huge, huge, tremendous gift. That to me is definitely one of the silver linings. Um, and so that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is um, it required us to think about where we work and when we work and how we work. We were so accustomed to working either in the office or only remote. And now we're saying, wait a second, a lot more people can work remotely than we thought. And wait a second, maybe we can do hybrid work. And wait a second, maybe we don't need to commute for two hours a day. Um, and all these things of allowing people to optimize their lives, to figure out, you know, Callie, Callie Yost has done some great work on work-life fit and really getting us to this place of, okay, how do I want my work? And how do I want my family? And how do I want my, my personal time? How do I want all these pieces to fit together? And this pandemic allowed us to disaggregate all of that, figure out how to put it back together. And I remember having a conversation with one executive who prior to this said, oh yeah, we would never work from home ever. And he's now like, oh, you know what, it works. Let's, let's, let's think about this. Let's, let's change that. And so even though a lot of people have struggled um, with everything that has happened, there's a lot of thriving in the words of your podcast that is happening. And maybe people don't want to talk about it because they feel, you know, sort of survivor guilt, if you will. But there's a lot of thriving that is happening because of this in terms of where and when and how we work. And then the third silver lining I would say is, is to recognize how as a human as humans, we are so resilient. I don't think people realized how resilient we are. 
And I think that's been a really wonderful common theme. And also to just see the advances like in your field of like pharma and, you know, people coming up with these vaccines so quickly, this recognition that these barriers that we thought were in place, they're not there in the same way. They, they were there, but they weren't really there. We thought they were there. We allowed them to be there. And so I would say it's given us this opportunity to reset completely disrupt how we live our lives if we will let it. It's allowed us to rethink where and when and how we work if we will let it. And it's allowed us to think about innovation and creativity and and, and really look at our mental models and things that we thought weren't possible, in fact, that they are. Those to me are all huge silver linings. The survivor guilt. This is the first time I hear this expression in that context. Yeah, it's the first time I thought of it, actually. But do you think there's some of that going on? Absolutely. Acknowledging the good things that happened to us during the pandemic triggers negative feelings in others who are affected negatively by it. I think we are all affected both negatively and positively. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. On this point, Whitney, after publishing your book, Disrupt Yourself, it's not a secret that big organizations were not too happy about it. They thought that your ideas are threats. Employees will reinvent themselves and leave the organization for good. How would you respond to employers who still oppose this idea of disrupting ourselves? Yeah. So um, what I would say is that as an employer, as, as a team member, when we have someone on our team who is at the top of their learning curve, and so I, I think a lot about growth cycles and S-curves of learning and how you start at the bottom and you climb to the top. And then when you get to the top, you're not learning like you were. So you've got to, you've got to find a way to learn again and re-engage around that. And so as an employer, if I've got a person who has been successful, they've moved to that top of that S-curve, there's not an opportunity for them to continue to be challenged in terms of the projects or the people they're working with, whatever, to believe that they will just stay there doing the same thing that they've done forever is we're, we're delusional. We, we really are. And we all do it. We all do it, but we're delusional. And so what's going to happen when a person's in that place is they're either going to, um, they're going to leave or they're going to just get complacent and they're going to stop working. And so um, what I am proposing is that if you can recognize, oh, every single person that works for me is on an S-curve of learning. Every single person that works for me and with me is a learning machine. As I said earlier, like we, this it's this imperative for us to grow and develop. If I recognize that, then I can say to myself, okay, this person has gotten to their top, the top, they're in mastery. And so what do I want to do with that? Well, I now know that this their, their boredom doesn't have anything to do with our organization. It doesn't have anything to do with our team necessarily. It doesn't even have anything to do with me as their manager. It just means their brain has this latent innovative capacity and they need and want to use it. And so what I would argue is that this mechanism of personal disruption, this framework of personal disruption is simply a way for you to, it's a mechanism by which you can help the people who work for you and with you who are quality and you want to keep them, allow them an opportunity to disrupt themselves. It may be another role in your organization. It may be another role on your team. It may be even outside of your organization, but at the very least, it's an opportunity to have a challenge that gets their brain going, I need to figure this out. And so by allowing them to disrupt themselves and making it possible for them to disrupt themselves, they're engaged, they're productive, they're able to innovate on on behalf of the organization. And oh, by the way, you become a boss that people love to work for. 
I'm preparing for this webinar tomorrow and I interviewed, you know, several people for that webinar. And what I found is that every single one, when they're talking about their career inside of an organization, they've all been there over 20 years, they, every single one highlighted a boss or two or three that pushed them to grow and develop. That's how you become a boss that people love and, and people remember they talk about them is because you made it possible for the people on your watch to disrupt themselves. I couldn't agree more. People who are innovative by nature get bored easily. Yeah. And if you don't give them something to work on, as you said, they become complacent or they leave. Yeah. What would be the question you are most tired of hearing on disruption and what would you like to say about it so you never have to answer it again? such a fun question. Um, I think I, I think it's a great question and it goes, it brings us back to where we started is that disruption is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a really, really, really good thing because it's this mechanism by which you become, you get to slingshot into who you want to be as a person, as an individual, as a, as a team, as a company. And so I think that um, I would want people to stop thinking of disruption as something bad. Yes, disruption out there writ large happens, but when it comes to personal disruption, there's actually nothing bad about it. It's only good. Before we move on to the last question in this wonderful discussion with Whitney Johnson, I'd like to ask the audience to open a new tab. Now, look up Whitney Johnson and look at her website. You will find a link to all the previous podcasts that she had and disrupt yourself. Great guests, great ideas, big, big talks. Whitney, this is a question that I ask every guest on Thrive. We all had setbacks, myself included, mm -hmm. where we picked ourselves up and managed to go from striving to thriving. Would you mind sharing a setback of yours and how you rise yeah. above? Yeah, I'm going to share too, just because, so I think there's there there's the current one, right, of, of going through last year where, you know, we had we had 2019 and then 2020 arrived and, you know, our revenue as a business was lopped off by like 40% last year. I mean, a lot of what I do is I do a lot of keynote speaking and that all went away. And so I think that that was definitely a setback. Um, but what I will say is that um, in, in that setback is it gave us this opportunity to really rethink our business model. What do we want our business to look like? Um, in that setback was an opportunity to be at home for a year and not travel anywhere for the first time in, you know, decades of, of travel. And that was an opportunity for me to really think about my routines. And I feel like from a personal standpoint, I made a lot of growth, made a lot of, you know, forward advances because I had time to really focus and concentrate. Um, and so that would be, um, one thing that I will mention, but, uh, but that's, I think that's pretty common. So I'll give you something common in the sense that we've all had that setback. So what have we done to, to sort of bounce back from that? Um, another one for me that probably people will relate to a little bit more is I was delivering a speech. And this is not that long ago. This is maybe five years ago, probably five years ago, I delivered a speech. And after the speech was over, um, like they didn't like it, they hated it. I. You know, of all the speakers, I got the lowest speaker ratings. They said she's an automaton. I mean, like they just hated it. And I saw all the comment cards. It was just like devastating. And I remember looking at that and thinking later, I'm so glad that this happened. And the reason I was glad that it was ha it happened is up until that time, people were like, we liked it, good speech. And so I was like kind of moving along, just sort of doing what I was always doing. 
But it wasn't until that moment where I was just like punched in the face where I said, oh, I've got to really look at this. What am I going to do differently? How, how am I going to become a better speaker so that people, so that I am showing up in a really strong and powerful way? And so um, as a consequence of that experience of people hating it and me really looking at it and evaluating it and doing the work and really diving into this, interestingly enough, my content didn't change very much. It was just the delivery. It was how I was delivering it. It was how I was showing up. It was how I was being present when I was talking to people. And so I think back on that now, and I'm really grateful that it happened, even though in the moment, like I can still remember where I was sitting, where I heard the comments, like, but in that moment, even though in the moment was hard, I think that was exactly what I needed to be able to go from surviving to thriving as a speaker. And so it's that kind of thing where you get that feedback that you don't think you want, but then you get it and you're like, this is exactly what I needed in order to, you know, I got disrupted and then I had to choose in that moment where I was disrupted, what would I do with it? And I chose in getting disrupted to disrupt myself and move forward by doing the work to become a better speaker. I'm curious about something here, Whitney. When would you take one-time feedback as a true feedback versus as an outlier? Two things. Number one is if you get it from, you know, this idea of triangulation, if you hear it from, you know, two or three people, then it's more likely to be something that's accurate. To your point, like if you hear a piece of feedback from just one person, then maybe it's relevant, maybe it's not. But if you're triangulating and you hear it from two or three people, then you probably want to pay more attention. The other thing that I have definitely noticed is that um, I, I think we know when feedback is actually accurate and when it's not. There's something inside of us. So there's sometimes we get feedback that triggers us that actually is not accurate. And then there are other times where we get feedback, and I know you're, you've studied psychology, where you get feedback and you know that it's actually accurate. You, you just know it. it. It resonates at some level. And so it's that different. So there's that triangulation piece. Then there's the, did this just trigger me, but it's not actually accurate. And then there's the feedback of, oh no, there's something in here for me. Sometimes it might be something you already kind of knew, but it just confirmed it. And every once in a while, it's something that's very deep and you say, what am I going to do with this? That that if you will act on it, because they've just shown you a piece of yourself that you thought was hidden, if you'll act on it, that's when you can make some real progress. What a pleasure to have you with me today, Whitney. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate your, your preparation for, for the conversation. Thank you so much. And people watching us, until we meet next time, keep safe, keep motivated, keep resilient, and see you in the next episode of Thrive. Thank you.